today's scripture is Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were in increasing number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, it's had two weeks out of the pulpit, and I miss it. Great, great to be back here with you, but the last two weeks have been edifying for me, listening to the pastors uh, who were able to preach here. Uh, Garen, who preached two weeks ago, did an outstanding job on a very difficult passage. So, yeah, um, and so I, I was really, really grateful to hear his word and, and how God even has used that in my life. And then me mate from Australia preached last week, David. Uh, and Dave is a phenomenal, phenomenal communicator, but a, a more, even more godly man. And so uh, that was a, a wonderful privilege to have him. And, you know, just thinking that, that they're about, I don't know, 10 hours or so uh, have already finished their worship service and are into their, their nighttime right now. And so um, it's just remarkable to think about God's global work in the world and how the gospel was viral, and that viral gospel impacted the ends of the earth. And we're here today because of that, because the gospel went forward in a ferocious way, and that gospel has impacted us here today. There is a work of the gospel that continues. There's a work of the gospel that we are a part of. And my prayer that that work of the gospel makes us alive today or certainly wakes us up from slumber. We need that message again. We need that beauty, that passion of the gospel in our world today. In a world, in in our American society that's pushing eject on Christianity, we need the fire and flames of the Holy Spirit to make us warm. To bring warmth to this world and to make us alive in him. And it starts here. And I want to pray for that among us. Father, would you move by the power of your spirit? Just as you were at work in Acts, Lord. Just as you were at work in the history of the church. Just as you have been working in continuing the work and the word of Christ throughout all ages and generations, God. We are here in a time and space And God, I pray that you would allow us to hear your word and to obey it. That we would walk in you, Lord. That we wouldn't just allow it to go in one ear and out the other, but we would listen and we would obey and that we would walk in you. God, bring to power the words that are on these pages so that they may change our lives and we would grow together in you. In Jesus' name, church says, amen. Amen. 
So Lady Gaga, anybody know Lady Gaga? So she had an interview where she was with the Dalai Lama uh, some time ago. And uh, I watched this interview on YouTube. And it was pretty fascinating because there are so much things that she just got right. There's a lot that I can disagree with Lady Gaga for. But there were some things in this interview that I thought, man, she is spot on. And she talks about the problem of evil. And, and she was a theologian in this. I mean, it was pretty powerful. Here, here's what she says. She says, please do not forget that hatred or evil or whatever you want to call it is intelligent. It's smart and it's invisible. It doesn't have a color. It doesn't have a race. It doesn't have a religion. It has no politics. It's an invisible snake that while it's planning to make its attack, it's thinking to itself, I am going to divide my enemy into smaller, less strong groups. And then I'm going to make them hate each other so that it's easier to take them down. I mean, from Lady Gaga, we read that. Now, her and I don't share the same perspective on God or the Bible, but it just goes to show you that God puts a little bit of himself in each and every one of us so we can understand him and know him. But it also shows us that evil is this universal work that seeks to bring to destruction that which is good. And I want to point out to you something that is good that Lady Gaga won't point out to you something that is good is that in the book of Acts, the gospel was spreading rapidly. I mean, it was moving with, with a force that was seemingly unstoppable, but there was also a work of Satan in a subversive way that like a snake tried to bring it to its end. This invisible work of Satan that was there today, that was there in that day is here today. And we saw it in Acts chapter three and four, even though it's not explicitly mentioned, but Satan is trying to divide the church and oppose the church by persecuting the church. By bringing about destruction of the church through pain and hardship and through threats, threats that would even, that would even be to, to the person's life. And that didn't stop the church because God's Holy Spirit moved her forward. And then there was the threat in chapter five of opposition through internal corruption and hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira, thinking that what belonged to God was actually their own and they could actually lie to God. That Satan would work in the internal workings of the church to bring her down. But that didn't stop the church. And here we have the not so obvious thing in which Satan seeks to work. And that's through distraction. If he can't stop the church by persecuting her. If he can't stop the church by hypocrisy and, and this internal corruption. Then maybe he can just subtly distract her to think the church that should exist for something else other than the gospel and should reorient their ministry around something that's good, but in the scheme of things, if it were to be replaced, if it were to replace the gospel, then the church would not be here today. There was a decisive moment that happened with the apostles and that early church in that day where they said yes to the gospel that allowed them to say yes to so much more that the gospel touched. And that's what we see here going on in chapter 2. And, and I want us to have this question that, that kind of is churning in the backgrounds of our minds personally. W what are the things that you're distracted by of lesser importance than the gospel?
What are the things that are maybe good things that your whole life is oriented around? What are the things that are subtly taking the place of that which is first importance in your life and you find yourself existing for those things rather than existing for the thing that matters most? We are susceptible to the same type of distraction. Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 2 verse 1 gives us this warning. Therefore, pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. See, the subversive work of the enemy is that we would give less of our full attention to that which we should give all of our attention to and give it to something else in distraction. And slowly what happens is it pulls us further and further and further away from God. And that distraction leads to disillusionment and that disillusionment leads to discontentment and that discontentment leads to dissatisfaction and that dissatisfaction is something that we blame God for. And we think it's all his fault while all the while we were walking in rebellion because even as Garen prayed the prayer earlier, we've given ourselves to idols and those idols are stealing our joy of the Lord. And this is what I think is so important for us personally to see but us as a church to corporately see so that it refocuses our efforts on what matters most. C.S. Lewis, the famous author of the Chronicles of Nardia, also wrote a wonderful book that I recommend that you read called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictitious book of the senior demon, Screwtape, speaking to his junior demon, who's his nephew, Wormwood, And he is teaching Wormwood how to make Christians mediocre in our society today. How how to take take the edge off of our Christianity and just make us nominal in our faith. How to keep Christians from being serious about God. Wormwood, or um, Screwtape says this to Wormwood. He says, make him waste his time. Not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on the subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing for, at all for long periods. All the, healthy and, all the healthy and ongoing activities which we want him to avoid, that is the mission of the gospel, can be inhibited and nothing given in return, so that at least... He may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival date down here, I now see that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. Remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate him, the man, from the enemy. The enemy in the demon's mind is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and, and, and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the drift. Therefore, pay close attention to what you've heard. Today... We're going to give our full attention to what we've heard from the gospel. Verse 1 of Acts 6. 
Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose from the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Our first point is that there is the danger of distraction. The danger of distraction. And and we see it here. The church is growing, which is a really good thing. I mean, the church went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. And it kept on going. And the number that was counted was only men. So up to this point, the church is maybe up to ten or 15,000 people at this point. And so the larger the church grows, the more problems you have. I know that large churches are susceptible to problems. I know that small churches are susceptible to problems. Problems occur in the church. It's not the problems that are the problem. It's how you deal with the problems that can become the problems. And there's a danger here that they would give themselves to this problem that would distract them from the mission that God had called them to. There are two groups of people here. There are the Greek-speaking widows, the Hellenists, and there are the Hebrew widows, The Jewish widows that were kind of the the born and raised in that area that were familiar with the territory that spoke in the the language of everyone else. And there was favoritism given to the Hebrew speaking widows over the Grecian, the Greek widows, the Hellenist. And that was a problem. I mean, that's the real problem. And the problem wasn't simply administrative. It wasn't just, okay, well, let's just fix the problem with the administrative. If you you do that, you're going to see the problem rear its ugly head up somewhere else. This is one of the instances where you see how the Bible deals with racism and discrimination in the early church. And it's powerful because the problem isn't simply a, the, the problem isn't an administrative issue. The problem is a heart issue. Racism, discrimination, ethnic superiority, those type of things. Those aren't administrative issues. Those are heart issues. And this is why the gospel is so important. Because the gospel deals with the heart issues. And and I want to bring to light some of this today. We, We live in a day and a time where race is such a polarizing issue. And we want to formulate our own opinions and we want to tell people what we think. But, but I want to tell you, friends, you need to allow the gospel to inform and transform the way you think so that you don't get so offended when somebody says something, but we start to pay attention and listen and allow that narrative to go through the narrative of the forgiving, transforming, cleansing work of Jesus Christ that begins to change the way we view one another. Because racism is anti-gospel. It is. It is against the cross. The cross says everybody stands at level ground at the foot of it. Nobody is better than anybody else. And so this is a major issue for the church in that time because of that. And number two, it's a major issue in that time because the church or the people of God were commanded to care for the widows. That was a command. I mean... Psalm 68.5 says that God is the father of the fatherless and he is the protector of the widows. I mean, how good is that? If you are an orphan, you have a father and your father is your heavenly father. He is the father to the fatherless. Where there is an absent father in your life, you need to know that there is a father that's there and present and better than your earthly father. And then he is also the defender of the widows. He is their protector. He is the one who cares for them. Widows are some of the most vulnerable people of society. And here God is saying that I care very much about them. 
the ones who are easily rejected in society are the one whom God most embraces and gives himself to because those who are vulnerable are the ones that God says, I've got you, I've got you, and I'm gonna care for you. And this is the role of the church. This is the role of God's people is to care for these marginalized, these broken people in our society, those who are susceptible to the, to the perversion of others. And it's important that we see that today. But, but, we could create a benevolence ministry and we could create this into some kind of social organization that just does that. And the danger is, is that we forget why we're doing it in the first place. Do you see that all good things that the church can be involved with loses its goodness if you lose the gospel? Because the gospel provides the motivation for change. And Micah said it earlier in his time. He said, we could sing these songs, but these songs don't matter unless our hearts are moved and changed by the gospel. We can create a benevolence ministry for the broken, for the widows, for the poor, for the homeless. And I think all those things are good things. But what we become is a social organization that lacks the understanding that the greatest need for humanity is the need for a cleansing of our wicked hearts. And so we're just helping people in this life while not giving them any hope in the life to come. And so they're dying and going to hell without the reality of the resurrection. And so this is why we proclaim the gospel. This is why we are a gospel-centered church. This is why it is our mission to point people to Jesus, plain and simple. And we want to get involved in the fight against human sex trafficking. We want to get involved in seeing the homelessness rate in our city go down further and further. We want to see all the needs of our cities advance. We want to see racial reconciliation happen. We want to see the things that God has called to bring restoration in this city happen. But I tell you, friends, we will never, ever, ever do those things without the motivation of the gospel. We will never be that church because we are a church that says gospel first because the gospel changes hearts and it changes lives. I need this. You need this. We need this reminder. We're moving into a highly contested political season here. And it could be easy for me to come up and preach to you some version of politics. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it. I do think politics are important, but I think our politics must be informed and transformed by the gospel. And what I want to show up at the polls from you and your participation is the gospel and the way you vote that that would inform and transform everything that you do. So show up on that date and vote. But may the gospel be at work through you to bring about the change that you desire and not the talking points of any one of our political parties. C.S. Lewis says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, then all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. God 
is always drawing men and women to himself. He is always doing that. That's the greatest purpose of God in this world. And the cross stands at the central part of it. The cross points to the reality of the hope that we have. And that's what we must never, ever lose. Second point is that we're driven by the gospel. I kind of preached that in verse 1. I know what you're thinking. He's only in verse 1. Well, here we go. We're going to verse 2. Ready? And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It's not right. It's not right that we should dishonor Christ in this way. God has called these apostles to carry forward the mission of the church throughout all human history. I don't know if these guys knew the weight and gravity that was upon them in that time period. I don't know if they felt that, but I do know that the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing in them and gave them a conviction to stop doing everything that needed to be done in society and in the church and say something has to change. I I feel that as your pastor today. Man, there's so many things I could be distracted by. You don't know how many times I have a conversation with Josiah and Josiah says to me, hey, hey, Ryan, that's great that you did that, but you shouldn't do that. You, you should be making sure that you give time to the word and to prayer. And I'm so thankful for him and I'm thankful for many of you who remind me that, that we have to keep the gospel in, in its priority in the church because it's not honoring to Christ to put other things Ahead of what is of primary importance. He says the word. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word. What was the word? You didn't even have the New Testament in this time period. You have the Old Testament. And you had the word of the resurrection. That's what they preached. That's what they proclaimed. Peter four times up to this point. Proclaimed the message of the word. Said Christ died for sin. God raised him up, and by the way, you killed him. Christ died for sins on the cross. God raised him up on the third day, and by the way, you killed him. And that message is one that he repeats over and over and over again, because you will never know the importance of the cross unless you realize that it was your sin that held him there. You'll never know the importance of what God has done for yourself. You'll never personally embrace it unless you've seen that you're a a rebel. That you have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And that it was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. And that he was punished in your place. And you see that. It begins to change your perspective. And that was the message that was on repeat. That was the message that was going over and over again, just like that song that you listen to, that you want to just listen to over and over again. It was the gospel on repeat, and it keeps going even today. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I had also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again in the third day in accordance with the Scriptures Paul says this is of first importance. This is of first priority. That you know this. That you believe this. That you live this out. I've been thinking about this with my kids. 
I'd be thinking about how, man, I could give my kids all the experiences in the world. I could teach them how to be the most successful people in, in society. But if I don't teach them the message of first importance, then I failed as their father. And so I've been seeking God and how to disciple my children. And this past week started a discipleship time that I'm going to do with each and every one of them. Three. There's only three, by the way. Um, and uh, we're going to do the I am statements of Jesus, where he says, I am the bread of life. I am the way and the truth of the life. Each week, we're going to go through one of those I am statements because I think it's really important that they know who Christ is. And if they know who Christ is, then they're going to find themselves defined by him and for him, and they're going to live for him. Do you see that, that the gospel being priority in all our life begins to reshape every relationship? And that's what the apostles wanted to see. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing in that time. That's what the Holy Spirit seeks to do in our church, in our time today. And we see that they were distracted by good things and how easy that was. And, and you know, I, I'd like to say that a lot of our distraction is good things, but in our time today, our distractions are, are rather simple, subtle, and stupid. <laughs> I mean, we could be distracted by a, a phone for hours on end each and every day just getting on social media and just letting it steal, steal, steal. When I was a kid, we had a cat named Kudos. Kudos was the best cat in the world. I don't like cats, but I loved Kudos. Maybe he's kind of like a dog. So, um, so Kudos was uh, a family cat. And, and when I went to college, my mom got on the phone with me and, and said that Kudos had gotten sick. And I said, how, how, how did Kudos get sick? And she said, well, he's been drinking from the toilet. I said, really, how did that happen? And she said, well, one day I was out running errands. It was an all-day thing, and the laundry room door was closed where Kudos's water bowl is. And so Kudos had to find another source for water, and so he went into the bathroom, and there it was, plentiful, right in the toilet. And so I remember coming back down, staying the night over Christmas or one of the holidays, and getting up and going to the bathroom and seeing the cat, like, with his paws on the toilet bowl, like, his head fully in there and, like, Kudos, man, I got to go pee. Get out of here. <laughs> and Kudos continued to drink from the toilet bowl. And, you know, they were able to fix the problem. They just shut the doors and make sure you don't leave it open. And it retrained Kudos to know how good fresh water really was because Kudos started rejecting fresh water because he liked the taste of the toilet until he had to realize that the fresh water was really better than the stuff that he was drinking from the toilet. We do the same thing with our distraction. It's these things that we turn to that is not of God that's really just drinking from the toilet. And it's making us sick. And we're saying, God, why do I not feel passion for you? It's because you're drinking from the toilet. And I do it too. And we're sick. And we wonder why. And here we have the fresh water of the gospel. And it says, don't let these things that were never meant to satisfy you satisfy you. Find your satisfaction fully in Christ. Let me ask you this question. Where have you been drinking from the toilet? Where have you turned to the broken cisterns to refresh you that were never 
meant to fill you. They just temporarily satisfy you. But then you need something more and something more and something more. I had a friend who recently went through a traumatic experience, had to go into a mental hospital. And this friend, it started real easily where he would get distracted by things that would cause him to feel this depression and anxiety. And as he felt more depression and anxiety, he had to go to alcohol. And the alcohol temporarily took away the depression and anxiety, but the next day he felt worse, and so he had to have more. And then he turned to marijuana to fill this void where he was was seeking something to just take away this depression and anxiety. And he kept on adding to to, to this, this problem that he had with more and more things until ultimately it brought him to a breaking point. We don't have to get to that breaking point. And it might be people's approval. It might be trying to get control of every situation. It might be being, having a comfortable life and doing what we, ever, what we can to have a comfortable life. But the reality of the gospel says that all the approval we need is in Christ. So turn to him. He's fresh water. You'll never hunger and thirst again as you find satisfaction in him. And all of those things in our heart that thinks we have to turn to something else, he satisfies. Acts 6, 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The apostles here are telling the church the importance of the word and prayer and the centrality of its life and saying that, that you are best served by our devotion to God. You are best served by our study of the word, our proclamation of the word, and our dependence upon prayer. We are driven by the gospel and we're dependent upon prayer. I have to be a pace setter for prayer. That's my job, is to be a pace setter for prayer. I want your experiences with me to be experiences, not where I just tell you that I'm a man of prayer, but you feel it, you know it, there's a sensing that this man is a man of prayer. And I'm challenged by that each and every day, each and every week, that I'm called to be a man who finds confidence on his knees in prayer and humility. And that's very much the way these apostles were. And I want to tell you that as we raise up leaders, these leaders are leaders who find confidence in prayer because we're dependent upon God to come through. Alistair Begg said, a healthy church has a pastor who prays for his church, and he has a church that prays for their pastor. I need your prayers. I need you to pray that I would be a more more praying pastor, a more dependent pastor. I need you to pray for my life spiritually, that I wouldn't be distracted. How many of you have known ministers or pastors that have had moral failure? How many of you have known them? Yeah, yeah. Half the room, if not more. You've known them. You need to pray for us. Pray for Pastor Josiah. Pray for our leaders. That God would allow us to be faithful to the one who's faithful to us. That we would serve him by drinking and enjoying the water that he offers. And leading the church into that vision. I want to invite you next week to Vision Sunday. Uh, We're going to have at 6.30 p.m., we're going to share the vision that God has for us in the next year. And you know what? I am so excited about the next year. 
because God has done some really cool things just even over the last month with Crosspoint Espanol coming in. Many of you have come in over the last year. And I'm so thankful that you've been a part of it. Some of you have been here since before I've gotten here. And I've been amazed at your faithfulness and resilience here. We believe that God has some incredible things for us. And we want to we we have this time dedicated and devoted not to you just hearing the vision, but praying for the vision and being a part of the vision. So next Sunday evening at 6.30, join us. We also have Gideon's Bake Shop cookies, so not, not going to you know, test on that, but we'll see. You come here for the prayer or the cookies, well, you can come here for both, all right? Because I'll be here for both. Okay. Um, the last part is we're determined to serve. Determined to serve. I, I love the solution here. The solution was not, all right, widows, you're on your own. The solution was not, you're going to have to fend for yourself, sorry, can't help you. That was not the solution. The gospel compelled them to find a solution that would be favorable to everyone there. And so they brought everyone together in verse 3, and they said, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint for this duty. This is, this is so amazing to know that the needs in the church were met by the people of the church. That there are needs in this church that many of you might have today or many of you might experience. But there are also people in the church that are going to step up by God's grace to meet those needs. And the gospels going forward. That has happened and that will happen in this church. Just a couple months ago, we ordained deacons. Our community group leaders, Chansey and Dylan and, and Heather, who leads our uh, connections and hospitality ministry, Ryan, we ordained Josh and Joe, and there's names I'm forgetting, Scott and Linda, and there's so many that, that God is using to continue ministry of set up and tear down and making sure our kids hear the gospel each week, making sure that when people come in the door, they feel a sense of, this is home for me. That's, all those things are so important. And there are people that are sacrificing faithfully to make that happen. I'm so thankful for the shared leadership of this church. And it also makes me realize that one of the things that I have to do is make sure that I'm leading in such a way that makes disciples that makes disciples. That I'm pouring into those that God has here. That I'm pouring into the next generation. So one of the things that we started not too long ago, six months ago, was we brought together some men and we, we started testing the, the word of God over our lives. And, and, and one of those guys is uh, Scott Rivas. Scott was a part of this uh, six months ago. And uh, Scott has been a dear friend and brother of mine for quite some time. God's used him in a powerful way in our church at Cross Point Lake Nona and Cross Point Downtown. And so it was uh, just recently, Josiah and I as elders, and also we have a board of advisors that's helping us with these decisions, uh, said that it is good that Scott become a formalized elder candidate here. Meaning the next six months is going to be a testing period that's visible for you to speak into if he's a man of good repute and character. He's a man full of the wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And I've trusted in that in Scott. In fact, I allow him and his wife, Linda, to pastor Carrie and I. And they've been an incredible privilege. One of the things I love about Scott is he's a godly man. It's the chief qualification for leadership in the church. Notice how in, in uh, Acts, they didn't pick the CEO or the corporate banker to fix their problems. 
No, they picked men who were of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. They picked people who could pastor, who could deal with people in the internal realities of the soul. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is taking the gospel and apply it to life situations. Scott and Linda, man, the Holy Spirit has used you in powerful ways in that. We love you and we're so excited about that. On, on the 28th, we're going to have a party with Gideon's Bake Shop cookies and we're going to celebrate that with Scott and Linda as we kick this new season off. And this is what God has called us to raise up here. Men and women who are of good reputation, who are full of the spirit and wisdom. There is no qualification for perfection, by the way, because maybe you're here and you're like, that's not me. I can't do that. Man, I've got this baggage. I've got this history. You don't know my rap sheet. Do you, do you know what? There is something powerful that happens in the gospel to where he begins to transform you in the old and it becomes new. I know Scott and Linda's story and it's kind of messy. It's not perfect. There are problems there. And they would tell you if you heard their story over dinner that, that they're people who are jacked up in need of a great savior. And so are you. And today begins a new day. Today is a day where the cleansing work of Jesus begins to make you a leader in the economy of his kingdom. And you might serve orphans or widows or you might be a part of the fight against human sex trafficking. But we want to equip you to enter into those spaces in society with the gospel and let the gospel transform any of those places in your family, in your homes, in your communities, in your workplace. That's our passion. And we're going to continue. The word there here is diakonos, which means deacon. Diakonos. And it's service. John Stott says this. A vital principle is illustrated here in this incident. Which is of most urgent importance for the church today. If God calls all his people to ministry. Then he, that he calls different people to different ministries. And that those called to prayer and ministry of the word. Must on no account allow themselves to be distracted, distracted from their priorities. In other words, what... John Stott is saying is that for the gospel to advance, every member is in ministry. Every member is a missionary. Every member has to do their part so that the word of God is advanced by those who are called to do it. I can't do everything. Josiah can't do everything. Scott can't do everything. Heather can't do everything. Our community group leaders can't do everything. And so here today is an opportunity for each of you to say, how can I get in the game? How can I get plugged in? How can I help make this a reality? So there's four teams that we have that I want to challenge you today. If you, you haven't got started, I, I want to, well, first I want to challenge you. Join a community group. Get plugged in. You, you might start serving and find yourself get burnt out because you're not getting filled up. Community groups are a place where you're going to get filled up. So join a community group. Secondarily, join a team and serve in it. We have facility teams. This is our team that right now is in most need of help. We have guys that come in here and about an hour and a half, we set up and tear up down this facility, either on a Saturday evening or a Sunday morning. If you could join the facility team, it'd be incredible. Hospitality team, those who are the face of Crosspoint, that first greeting is so important. 
Surveys say that within the first five minutes, people are making the decision whether they're going to come to this church ever again. Think about that. People who don't know Christ having the opportunity to come in, you can impact within the first five minutes that gives the smile of God. Crosspoint Kids. I am so thankful when I sat with Adeline last week and we talked about the I am statements and she said, oh, I know this story, daddy. And she started telling me the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. That's because of our Crosspoint Kids ministry. Amen? That's because Ryan and her team are just doing an incredible job at it. And then finally, our artist community. Our artist community, we need, we need people to, to, to run sound and lights and, this, and do the screens here, whatever that's called, video stuff. <laughs> we need people in, in all those areas. And I encourage you, this is what happened. And when they said, please, the whole gathering... They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon and Pumbaa. Just, just checking on that one. <laughs> Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. They prayed, they laid their hands on them. And verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase. Ah, oh, man, you get involved here. You get plugged in. You allow God to transform you by the power of the gospel and you give yourself to the ministry of the gospel, the word of God will increase. God will grow our church. God will use you and a great many people. This case, priests, those who are the religious lost came obedient to the faith. They believed the gospel and they said it's true and they gave their life for it. You do those things and it'll be a part of the ministry of the word and prayer moving forward in our church today. Jesus says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I, I, I close with that verse in order to tell you that you are called to serve, but Jesus is a leader who doesn't tell you to do something that he hasn't already done. Jesus laid down his life. There is nothing that you can do to serve this community, this church that Christ hasn't already done for you, for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Remember that he is the chief servant and he is our chief shepherd. And right now he's pastoring us and he wants to use us cross point downtown to be pastors in our community, pastors in our city, Pastor to those who are running from God and drifting away. And we're the voices that say, give your full attention to what matters. Jesus died. God raised him up. You killed him. But God grants repentance and forgiveness that you can go a different direction. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that as we take communion right now, we're reminded of your service unto us. And your service was with arms outstretched, with nails in your hands, with nails in your feet, with a crown of thorns. Father, you're far more worthy of that. You are far more glorious than that. But God, you chose the cross, despising the sin and the shame, so that we might be brought into a place of honor before God. Because God, you gave us your place of honor. You gave us your place of worth. You gave us your place of value. You're, you took our, our place, God, of deserving your wrath. And you gave us 
your place of getting, God, all that you deserved. Thank you for the cross. Help us keep on serving in the gospel. God, take away those things of distraction and replace them with the fresh water of your word. And God, keep us on our knees in prayer. Move forward your gospel in our church. We need you, Holy Spirit, now more than ever. Would you bring a work of revival and renewal to us? In Jesus' name, the whole church says together, amen. I'm going to invite you up for a time of communion. Our ushers are going to come and serve you. We take the bread, dip it in the cup. You can file down these center aisles and walk right around. Reminded that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed, so that you can have forgiveness. Full and final in Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many.